Welcome to the Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health Podcast, where we talk about the clinical and practical issues that face those working in the mental health industry. and thank you for joining us with this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. My name is Erin Molyneux-Bailey. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and my co-host, Dr. Kevin Caridad, who is the CEO and owner at Cognitive Behavior Institute. This week, we are joined by clinical psychologist, Dr. Jason Goodson, who has over 10 years of experience, not just providing evidence-based care to patients with conditions like depression, anxiety, and PTSD, but also in training other mental health professionals in evidence-based interventions. Dr. Goodson is the creator of Behavior Therapy for Anxiety-Related Disorders, which draws on his experience and research on anxiety-related conditions. So thank you so much for being here with us today, Dr. Goodson. Can you share with our listeners a little bit about how you became interested in mental health, as well as specifically evidence-based treatments? Oh, sure, sure, I'd love to. Um, I, I think I actually, became interested in uh, psychology or mental health from a fairly early age. Um, in fact, I, I think it was it, it was in high school. And I, I say that because I found my aptitude testing and I had included in a section that I wanted to be or go into psychology. And I, I didn't waver much from that path. I got into um, I got into to college and I declared a psychology major pretty early. Um, then I, uh, I knew I would need to go to grad school. So I started kind of working in, um, related fields and trying to get a little bit of research experience. And after I completed, after I graduated, um, I started applying to programs, um, and I got very lucky to get into uh, Utah state's program. Um, and I say that because shortly after getting, uh, shortly after applying, I got a rejection letter. And then kind of just for good measure, I guess, they sent me another one a week later. And then uh, a couple months later, someone called me and they said, well, there had been a mistake and you were going to be an alternate. But now we have a position, which I don't believe, but um, I wasn't about to argue. I was thrilled to, to, to be a part of the, uh, to get into that program. And, and I'm still grateful. It was a, it was a good learning uh, or a good training program. Wonderful. And tell us a little bit about how you specifically, as you began to practice mental health and study mental health, how you became interested in evidence-based treatment. Yeah. So um, I think anxiety treatment and evidence-based treatment kind of go hand in hand. And my primary clinical and research interests were, were always in, in anxiety and related disorders. And that wasn't uh, a great fit at Utah State. So the first chance I really got to specialize in the area uh, was in my postdoc. And again, I got very lucky. I got accepted to a postdoc through Dartmouth that specialized in evidence-based treatments, primarily exposure for anxiety-related disorders. Um, and that time that included PTSD and OCD as well. And uh, my mentor, Dr. Claudia Zafert, uh, I learned an incredible amount from her. And it was during those two years that I really got immersed in delivering evidence-based treatments for anxiety and trauma and also doing a little bit of research. And I think, you know, 
my career since then has like been very similar. I took a job at, at the VA and I got involved because of my experience with exposure. I got involved um, in the prolonged exposure initiative and I became a, a consultant and a trainer. And um, I assumed a role of, of evidence-based uh, coordinator at one of, one of my facilities. And I also moonlight at, a, at the Center for Anxiety and Behavior Therapy. And I continue to kind of try to squeak out a little bit of research when I can. So it's um, it's really kind of been uh, how my career has has gone. Okay, great. You know, one of the things uh, my dissertation when I went and did it looked at evidence based practice, how it's taught in grad school and utilized afterwards, which is uh, not strong. And you know, my background prior to was was nursing. I was a registered nurse, and you know. It's interesting because we call it evidence-based practice where we're in the hospital. It's like, hey, are you using evidence-based practice medication? It's like assumed. Can you talk a little bit about why we're, uh, at least from your perspective, why we list things as evidence-based practice and some of the dynamics in behavioral health? Because I'm sure some of the listeners uh, on are going to view uh, this with different lenses, uh, evidence-based practice, exposures, because I know people have different experiences. What can you, what can you add to that conversation? So I think that so that actually really is a, a great question and a very important one. Um, and you, and and as you were kind of saying, like our 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 field has not traditionally um, espoused kind of evidence based treatments, and um, uh, and there there are a lot of um, there are there are a lot of um, kind of different camps in our field. Now, I, I guess I will say that that kind of good therapy is good therapy, right? So if you look at like therapy done in like in 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 other camps, the, the therapies that, that are are good actually look quite similar. But I, I do think that one of the kind of major differences is that Kind of there is the research base behind evidence-based treatment to support and know that it's effective and i think in today's world that that's just becoming more and more important and otherwise it's really it can be hard to know what you're doing is effective and what we're particularly bad at is knowing or catching when uh things are not going well or people are getting worse and so I, I think that there are um, uh, kind of uh, there's probably probably multifactorial why there's been kind of more of an of, of an emphasis on it. But like from my own standpoint, doing something that is rooted in evidence or has evidence makes me feel uh, a lot more confident in what I'm administering. Okay, great. I hope I answered that question. No, that was great. Yeah, you certainly did. Can you tell us a little bit about what exactly is behavioral therapy for anxiety-related disorders? Yes, yes, I would love to. So uh, um, behavioral therapy for um, uh, anxiety-related disorders, or, or BTAD, is a, a very simple behavioral-based therapy that is rooted uh, in learning or learning principles. And it focuses on countering the behaviors that maintain anxiety and trauma. Now, we refer to those behaviors as safety behaviors. And we can talk a lot more about what those are later. Um, 
but but in BTED, this is done in two ways. There's two kind of kind of primary interventions. The first is is reducing or eliminating safety behaviors, and the second is countering safety behaviors. So, for instance, an example of of eliminating safety behaviors would be fading the number of times a person checks the the lock on the door, and this allows for a person to learn that it's not necessary to check more than once. And now example of, of a countering intervention would be actually perhaps like leaving the door ajar or leaving it unlocked for a period of time. And this hopefully allows for learning that um, um, a break-in or something along those lines is much less likely than it feels, especially when you're anxious, right? Because when you're anxious, every, um, the things that we are anxious about feel much more likely. That's what anxiety does to our, our, our thinking or how we think. So another example um, would be uh, purposefully um, uh, not ending a conversation early, while countering would be kind of purposely prolonging a conversation or even kind of continuing to talk to a person after they maybe have been given cues that they need to leave. And I think this allows for learning that you can kind of put a person out a bit and it's not going to result in a serious negative judgment. Um, now, BTAD has, um, wait, so one thing that I would like to say is um, it's kind of emphasis or it's, it's, um, there's a heavy emphasis on learning. And so all exercises are processed from the standpoint of what was learned. Um, now, there are also two standard interventions in VTAD, and one of them is optional, but, but recommended. The, the first is welcoming anxiety. Now, this is a mindfulness-based intervention that counters suppression related safety behaviors. So my belief is that it's pretty almost it's almost impossible to get over anxiety if we are trying not to have it. Right? The more that we resist anything but anxiety in particular, the more that it's it persists, the more it sticks around. So um, this is a, a core intervention that's emphasized throughout all of treatment. And uh, it's emphasized, it's kind of like purposely practiced, it's practiced in the moment, and it's practiced when the exercises are, are, are being carried out. Um, so, so in that way, there's kind of a mindfulness infusion in, in the treatment. Now, the second intervention is attention training. So safety behaviors such as worry, vigilance, monitoring, they are central maintaining factors in anxiety and trauma. And they maintain anxiety and trauma because they result in an over-processing of cues of threat. Now, the problem isn't that we enter into these states. The problem is that it's difficult to disengage from these states. So attention training is designed to enhance intentional flexibility so that we can switch attention from um, uh, something that's threatening to something that's non-threatening. And that often would be um, 
present moment awareness. Attention training was developed in metacognitive therapy and it has a lot of good evidence in, in reducing uh, attentional safety behaviors. Makes a lot of sense. A lot of clients that yeah. we get that have anxiety, you know, they kind of get that intractable stuck kind of, uh, uh, you know, deer in the headlights. And it's really hard for them to see anything beyond that. And it sounds like the methods of treatment that you're describing is really getting people to learn is that you can look away from the deer. It's not really as, it's not just going to stay in front of your car. It's going to keep likely to keep running across the road. Oh, that's a great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay, great. And can you tell us a little bit about your training that's coming up uh, and kind of what people can expect uh, out of the training and then, you know, how ready are they ready to go uh, afterwards? Sure. Sure. So um, the training is, is a one day training and um, they, um, we'll get a client manual and a um, uh, therapist manual. So they should have all the materials um, that they need to implement the training. And um, I will offer consultation after if they, if they want to have a session or two of, of, uh, of consultation. But what we'll do is we'll go over the theory of safety behaviors. Um, and then we'll kind of go over like session by session how to implement this right so the the main the early phase of treatment like the main goal through education and monitoring is come up is to come up with like a master list of safety behaviors and that becomes like the primary treatment document and then you start to apply these principles or, or these interventions on this master list and and so we go through all the the different um, sessions. And then for each type of safety behavior, I've written like a separate module. So for like to, to give some more information and some more examples of how to work with it and things like that. And um, I think we'll, we usually do some kind of experiential practices like with welcoming anxiety. And sometimes with attention training that that gets hard virtually, be, because sometimes it's hard to, to hear really well. Um, but uh, we usually at, at least we'll do the welcoming anxiety um, to get some practice doing that. And um, then the final session of treatment is, is a wrap up session where we um, kind of the, the patient is asked to kind of write about their progress and what they still need to do to move forward. And um, Yeah, we try to get like as much kind of participation um, as as possible. Um, and I guess another thing that's kind of emphasized is is figuring out a way to practice these things in session, right? I feel like that's important. So it's not all just done as as homework. But um, I guess generally speaking, uh, the first part is educational, going over the the theory, and then the last part is all application. Sounds, sounds very interesting. Uh, some of our listeners uh, who may be interested, can you share a little bit about what kinds of patients are appropriate for yes. um, this type yes. of treatment? I think that would probably help people hone in on whether some of their uh, clients could benefit from this and then they may be interested in attending on July 16th. Yeah. So one of the great strengths of this treatment is that it is transdiagnostic. And so any person, any, any client with an anxiety disorder or a trauma disorder is, is going to be appropriate. Um, 
the one the i guess the one thing that i've i've noticed in my clinical experience that's a little bit uh that's caused some difficulties are when clients are becoming angry during the exercises and i think that happens because there are a lot of positive beliefs about the safety behaviors we're working on so that would be kind of the one thing that i've really noticed kind of consistently where it's it, it, it's not as good a fit. But I, I think that's one of the great advantages of this treatment is truly is transdiagnostic. It can be used with just about anyone who has anxiety and trauma. Wonderful. Well, like, uh, like we had mentioned before, the training will be held on July 16th from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time with Dr. Jason Goodson here, who is the creator of Behavioral Therapy for Anxiety-Related Disorders, the treatment. And anyone who is interested in attending can register on our website, which is www.cbicenterforeducation.com. The event is only $10 to, uh, to attend virtually. So it is extremely uh, well-priced so that we hope that lots of uh, clinicians can benefit from this type of training that we are disseminating. So thank you so much for being with us here uh, today, Dr. Jason, and we appreciate the time and look forward to speaking to you again in the future as you continue your research and and all of the, the great things that you're doing in behavioral health. Oh, thank you. It's been a real pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. Wonderful. And thanks so much to our listeners for tuning into this week's episode of The Barrier Breakdown. We'll see you next time and we hope you stay safe and healthy. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Barrier Breakdown, Disrupting Mental Health. Listeners can find all of our episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. For more information and to learn about upcoming continuing education events, check out our website, cbicenterforeducation.com, our Facebook pages, Cognitive Behavior Institute, and CBI Center for Education, as well as our Instagram at Cognitive Behavior Institute, and our Twitter at CBI underscore Pittsburgh. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We hope you'll tune in for another guest next week.